We are TFR. My faith in destiny is all I need to prevail. Truth Frequency Radio. If you have a questioning nature and a desire to nourish your essence within you have reached the realm of truth, live from inner space, it's the next sequel to Interactive Enlightenment brought to you by your host, Seven Bomar. Enjoy non-stop breakthroughs, advanced knowledge, and self-discovery to the core of your very essence. Join us as we map the blueprint to the cosmos and dissolve the mysteries of the matrix. You are now connected to the Keymaker. and balanced vibration to everyone and thank you for tuning in for yet another amazing show of the key maker today is saturday and obviously it's seven central it's the 28th and i guess it's white saturday since yesterday was black friday but uh, i definitely have some stuff lined up today it's it's going to be an amazing time as always and you know we're just going to get a lot more clarity but this is definitely a continuation of the key maker series i've really been digging deep into things this week and, uh, and the, really, the thing that I really like about this show is it really presents the stuff that you need to really know and what's really going to make some major impact and some effects in your life uh, from many dynamics uh, because there's so many different people that actually tune into this message. We have people from all walks of life, you know, people who are, definitely have a day job or even run uh, very large companies and have careers to those who have the freedom to be somewhat isolated and have figured out their financial situation some way or another, so just have the opportunity to spend on themselves. So we must, you know, in every tense, keep generating something that fits what we have going on. And so that's what this is about, because for me personally, at this point, I've really been doing my best to first not be redundant, uh, only if it's necessary, if if there needs to be some kind of repetition to something that's repeated. But I do think that Earth itself being in a loop and being in time is somewhat redundant itself. So we are challenged in every tense to be innovative and that allows us to, to get to the next level. So let me just check a couple things really quick here. Uh, we just had a little season change around here in Costa Rica, so it, it has my uh, my nose just a little stuffy. So if I sound a little bit different today, just know that I'm, you know, clearing it out, and uh, and I should be back at a hundred percent, or what I should say is a hundred and fifty percent, because I'm at a hundred percent now uh, during um, the next show. So here we go. So today's show is actually called the Holographic Projector. I generally generate many of the titles to the shows once the show is finished, even though I do have a pretty extensive set of notes. But today's message is really going to be centered around getting to the next step of uh, our total realization of where we are, how things are set up, what we're doing, and how our actions every single day and every single moment somewhat indicate our dimensional perspective. And, and we talked last week about being hyperdimensional 
and how to realize that you do have a hyperdimensional lifestyle. So if you're polarized and only dealing with things from, let's say, one aspect, then it, it, we challenge you in a certain tense to spread yourself out further in it to look at things from different angles. And so that's what today's message is about. So I'm going to start off first by, you know, we're going to go into some of the ancient times because, you know me, I, I love to go back to the beginning because that gives me an idea of what's going on now as I've titled one of the shows, The Ancient Future. And it is because I do 100% believe that, you know, this is on a continuous repeat cycle unless we change it. And so if you're really looking for the meaning to life or the meaning to something that you're experiencing, you only need to look into the past and then you'll be able to get it very clearly, especially if you know how to simplify the message. So I want to start off by talking about the author of confusion. Like, who is the author or the originator of confusion for this particular life cycle that we're all existing in? Because this biorhythm connects because we can still recollect to a certain time. Like, we can go back to Angkor Wat. We can think about Kemet. We can go to... Uh, into India or, or, or into the, the Persian Empire, and we can go to Samaria. And, in, and what I mean by that is that we could still recollect somewhat based on the images that we've been giving and based on our own experiences and things that have come from our, our great-grandparents and our, um, our ancestors. We can actually recall that period. But there is a certain point where there's somewhat of a gray area. Like if I asked you about your, your hyperdimensional aspects and, you know, what planets that you may have existed on or that you exist on now, there may be somewhat of a gray area there. And so what I've started to really accredit that, too, is that there was a point within our continuum, which I see is like a spiral, to where there was a certain schism or a point of disconnect. And it's this point of disconnect that until we bring that point back together within ourselves that we'll remain hazy about who we are, what we are, what is our potential, etc. And so when I searched in my own consciousness to find, you know, where could where that origin point could be so that I could, you know, do my own time traveling and my own projector, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, to get to that point to actually be able to undo and mend uh, what had been done, I came up to this point of the author of confusion. So the story is that I have today, and it's not you know, really a story is in a, a fictional sense. It's very non-fictional. But the author of the confusion actually has already identified itself in two dualistic aspects. And that means uh, there's, a, there's two sides to the confusion going on in the dimension. And today we're going to identify those two sides so we can get actually to the triplicity which is where we're going to be able to, what I say is triangulate ourselves to figure out exactly where we are at this stage in time and in space. And so what you have is you have two characters then. You have the king and the priests. And I'll say that again, you, you, you really have to understand at this point that there's two systems that are pervading the world that are causing the most confusion and that's the king and the priest. So you have the religious books in God. And then you have the laws and the king. And everything can be on the physical plane divided into those two aspects as far as what is delivered in this modern time. Because you have, of course, the laws that separate uh, what you can and cannot do, create the borders you also have the religions who, which say, you know, this is what you should be doing, this is who you should be worshiping, 
And then obviously there's more conflicts over these laws and these borders and these religions than anything else. In fact, it becomes like, I would use the term mother, but in this sense it's more like the father. It becomes like the father or the originator of all the confusion. So thus the author of confusion. So we can trace this down even deeper because obviously just saying, okay, it's the priest and it's the king, you know, we've all, we all heard that before. We know about Khan, uh, you know, as in Genghis Khan being a king. Uh, we, we know that that word does connect back to Cohen, which actually means a priest. So we already see a relationship between the king and the priest, but there's almost like a silent rule that the two are to never publicly associate with one another but to create two what appears to be separate systems that the populace and the masses continue to have conflicts in figuring out which one they want over another and which uh, thing that they choose to do. So where we find this at, at first is actually language. And so what we find is when we go into the origins of the modern languages is we find actually hieratic script. That, and that's also known as the priestly script. It's the language that the priests wrote in. It's, it was used by the pharaohs in the, in the early dynasties, when the dynasties actually began. And the hieratic script moves from left to right. So what I, what I find here is that, indeed, the earliest texts from Egypt are produced with ink and brush, with no indication of their signs, their signs are descendants of hieroglyphs, meaning that this hieratic script, which sometimes is, is, is tried to, um, that the, the scholars try to put it in with hieroglyphs, but it actually has no relation to hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs was a language that, you know, may be rather recent, but it's definitely not an indigenous tongue. So it says, true monumental hieroglyphs carved in stone did not appear until the first dynasty. So this means that there was only really indigenous languages being spoken before the hieratic script or the priestly script. And it says, well, after the hieratic script had been established as a scribal, as a scribal practice, you have then demotic script, which for some reason always reminds me of demonic, but, you know, it's demotic script. And this is the language in which most of the legal acts are written. Now, we find that each language has one strength or another. Either it's primarily a priestly language, meaning most of the religious books and things are written in it. And then a demotic script where it's primarily a legal language, where most of the laws and the rules and things are written in it. And then the interesting part is one of the languages moves from left to right and the other one moves from right to left. Thus creating the true aspect in the true program of confusion. So this, of course, brings us back to that one uh, part in this spiritual text. Accordingly, it's supposed to be spiritual, but it says, let us go down and confuse their tongue. And many people have talked about this through history because now when I look at history these days, especially since I have access to so much information, even when I looked at something like the Bhagavad Gita, which is supposed to be like 20,000 years old, either history is continuously repeating itself like I talked about earlier, or what we find is even the war that took place between Krishna and Vasuki was actually a real conflict that took place where a certain group of people went and, and despoiled a whole tribe of people who were supposedly related to these ancestors that were saying that they were related to the Naga, who was Vasuki. 
And this is not the only example. I find plenty of examples where these supposed ancient wars seem to be only like 500 to 1,000 years ago. So again, either the history is continuously repeating itself, which we do have you know, knowledge that that's happening, or many of these texts are actually written and encoded with rather recent wars. We're talking about three, 4,000 years tops, not 20,000 years. So I say here, you know, the hieratic and the, demo, the, the, the demotic was used for writing administrative documents. So this is, of course, your license the, back in the day, your registrations, your house deeds, marriage license. It was used for accounts, the money, the banking, the legal texts, all the laws, the rules, the codes, the creeds, obviously the letters, and then as well as mathematical, medical, literary, and religious texts. So what I believe that I've uncovered here is that this is the beginning of when the priests and the king, who are actually on the same side and have always been on the same side throughout history, but have been playing like at every taste that day, we don't have anything to do with each other. Church is separate from state. Have created a system that naturally causes confusion in the mind. And we don't need to go deeper into how the language, of course, is a spell. And of course, these are ancient languages. You know, if you look at the cursive within the script, and you see most of the talismans that, you know, they're just unearthing today are written in these languages, as you see the religious text. And like it was not as watered down as something like Christianity. It's not just spiritual books. It's actually more of magical books being written using these languages. And what I believe is it begins to cause this great confusion amongst people who generally speak indigenous languages. So, again, you have the priest and the king. So in modern day, how that kind of comes out because the route to English, Latin, Mandarin, even Arabic and Hebrew, and even Coptic are actually the Heretic and the Demotic script. So it's just like right now, if I say Latin, you automatically think kind of Spanish people, but Spanish people from Spain. <laughs> so even Spanish people is not the correct term to give to people that are Aztecs, people who are Guatemalan, indigenous. The language was pushed on them the same way that the English language was pushed on the Americans. English and English, you go to somebody and say, you know, are you English? You know, you go to, you know, African-American person and say, are you English, man? You're from Europe? I say, no, man, I'm not from Europe. So, you know, what is it, why do you speak English? Because that's not your language. So, so this is something that we have to examine as being a major factor in what's going on because language is the program. Language is how we communicate. Language is the symbols that we begin to put into the projector, which we're going to be talking about in a moment. And we begin to think, shape, form, and fashion in that. And then what happens is, is that if we don't have a full bearing on what the language means and how it was devised, then we end up in confusion. Especially when the language is naturally designed to do that. And since you now speak in this language, let's say English, you can actually say to yourself, 
Have you ever said, have you ever talked to someone and you meant to say something, they totally misunderstood what you said, and it was not so much as what you said, but the tone of how you said it? Like, man, that's bad. Versus, oh man, this is bad. See, those two different tones use the same word, but they have two different meanings. So if I just happen to not emphasize properly, then someone actually takes what I'm saying the wrong way. But the entire language is riddled with this kind of thing. So thus, anytime we get into any kind of conversations, especially if they're extended conversations, the probability for there to be some kind of confusion going on is really high. Meaning that when you start to talk to people and you start to debate with them about things, the more that their mind begins to say, well, I don't believe necessarily in that, then the shapes and the tones and the vibrations start to take on their own form. Like a person may say, man, you, you hear what you want to hear. You have selective hearing. And that's because the language is like that. You can even sometimes read something and read through a sentence, and then it doesn't make any sense to you. And then you go back and you read it again, and you realize that you actually skipped over one word. That changed the entire meaning of the sentence. But what I find is, is most interesting, though, is, is that if you didn't have legal in the law and you didn't have all of this religion, I don't think there would be much use for language because everything would be based on expression. If there was nobody to give rules to, <laughs> there was no accounts and bank accounts and licenses and, you know, my God's bigger than your God. You know, my God can beat up your God. If there was none of that going on, then probably most of the time people would have spent their energy in connecting with one another and tapping into an entirely different form of communication. And at best, they would just be using their indigenous tongue to explain certain things that they needed to explain to get around daily life. But because there would be none of these religions and none of these rules, which are synonymous with one another, you have to realize that because the word king encompasses the word priest when you check in etymology, this means that religion and law is actually the same thing. So what we find, again, is that in these countries, like there's still major quarrels going on, like even in the Basque country, they speak Basque. But everyone around them speaks the language of, let's say, the oppressor, the language that was passed to them so that they would get rid of all of their languages. But see, there's also something else interesting that's encompassed within the indigenous tongue because it's mainly used for storytelling to explain things about the ancestors in the tones and in the vibrations in which they need to be conveyed. So if you remove the ancestral tongue, then you actually remove the person's ancestors. And so then that means that their foundation is gone. And then what's put in is a new king and a new priest set up in their mind. And I believe that that's what the temple is. Like the two sides of the body and how the, let's say, hacking begins is then what sets itself up in the temple, one on the left, one on the right. Because notice if we're left to our own being, we have a logical side, which is very useful. Even the greatest art was first conceptualized and then drawn. But in all that motor skill, the left and the right side of our consciousness work together in creation. 
But if you just have the king and the priest or law and religion, which is more like an artificial setup, then what you're dealing with all the time is just the, ma- the continuous manifestation of what can be quite confusing because it doesn't actually meld in with our true being. And this is what I started realizing to where there was a triplicity, more of a triplicity into the reality. Now, we know this. You know, we, we always talk about, you know, the father, the son, or, or in this case, excuse me, the mother, the father, the child, and, you know, uh, the, the ancient geometry, the pyramid. All this says that there's a three going on here. This is the third planet from the sun. You cannot triangulate anything with two points. You need three points. So this means that there is a part of us, you know, and we're just crawling in, in a tense out of the mire of duality, but there's a part of us that's been neglected, and I call it this third side. And when we start to identify that third side and it's being left out, that's when we can find our way to wholeness because this is an actual progress here. This is not just about a conversation. This is about an action. Like I get tons of questions about, especially now, of people running the full gambit of knowledge, but in desperate need of finding some level of application to make some real change. Because just like with me, it's happening with everyone else, the words, oh, excuse me, there's some fireworks, so I guess they're having a <laughs> white Saturday. You know, there's always a holiday going on over here, so if you hear some, some uh, booming going on in the background, you know, they're not shooting. <laughs> so what I want to talk about during this conversation is about how you move to your next space which should be your final space by identifying where these dualistic forms are set up. You know, that's been kind of the key, the, uh, the key of the key maker is to understand and place duality. And we've done a pretty good job of that for the last few shows. And now we're packing up our stuff because we never stay in any space for too long. And we're making our journey to triplicity so that we can solve this once and for all. We can actually triangulate the problem. And a big part of this is realizing that artificial construct that has been set up in our consciousness that we're projecting. And I'll explain that. And it's because, see, when they say that the reality is holographic, that you know, there, there's somewhat of a projection to this reality, we often think that, okay, so we're in some kind of huge projection machine. But the truth is, when you understand the tesseract, is that everything that's being done in the reality is actually being done with our own faculties. So thus, we have the holographic projector. It's not something that we're actually in, per se. It's something that's inside of us, something that we're choosing to use that has multiple uses, but Primarily, it's being used by the specific left and right or the the king and the priest set up in each sides, both sides of our consciousness in the artificial construct that's been developed. So I want to simplify this by just saying that we've been bamboozled. (laughs) That's as simple as it can get that. You can find in history, there's, this is not about ETs, this is not about extraterrestrials and creatures from space. We don't even have to go that far. You can find in your history that your entire 
foundation has been removed. Your memory bank, which is your ancestors, they're just, they're just keeping the knowledge of who you are. That latest backup has been removed and what has been restored is another language and another program that actually belongs to a specific author, a.k.a. the author of confusion. And how you can move from that, because some people are saying, well, what am I supposed to do now? Then you need to, I got to learn another language. No, the sheer fact of knowing this, that's to say knowing is half the battle. See, the rest of the battle, though, is the deprogramming. But the sheer fact of knowing this starts to give you a lot of resolve about, well, what's happening? So why is there so, so much confusion? Well, there's no, I mean, there's no more confusion in this world than is, that is caused by religion. There's no more confusion in the world that is caused by the laws. You have one aspect of it, and I don't mean to be redundant here, but I do want to go ahead and coast into the break so that the fireworks can end. But you have one aspect of this that comes from a priest. This priest king is giving the knowledge and the information supposedly about a god, but what he's actually pointing to is the king. Notice the play. It's like, well, yeah, it's, a, it's the king of kings. And then the king is doing the same thing. The king is saying, well, you know, it's, we, need the, we need the approval of the priest. So when we have the approval of the priest, we'll have the approval of the people, right, people? If, we, if, the, if the priest says that I'm supposed to be king, then that means God has chosen me to be king. <laughs> you see how the game works? So they just ping pong back and forth. And then the people are just there because they've got the language in their mind. And this is the, this is the greatest uh, deception to me that could ever be uncovered because you can watch how somebody can sit back there with this language in their mind and then they're like, they believe what these people are saying and what these people are doing because it's embedded inside of them and they don't even know where it came from. Because they don't suspect that something and what they would say as simple as not having their indigenous language anymore should not be in effect. That's why a lot of people are just racing to learn English. That's what happens in even countries like I'm in now in Costa Rica. You know, they feel like if they learn English, that's an extra two or three dollars on the hour. So they're encouraged to take on this language. And then now they got English on top of Latin. So they got the king and the priest.
wholeness and balance vibration to everyone and thank you for tuning in to the key maker and i guess i'm definitely going to start it like it's the new show all over again even though we've we seem to lost 30 minutes there was a little bit of technical difficulties but i'm sure everyone can hear me now and there's an amazing show going on today i have to do it again so you know whatever that was just somewhat of a rehearsal but i did want to say uh you know first and foremost again thank you for joining i, I call this white saturday uh, because obviously yesterday was Black Friday, and uh, and it's time to really get to it. I have an action-packed message, so action-packed. I mean, I guess there was some kind of block in the transmission for the first 30 minutes, but here it goes. So today, you know, I'm calling today's show. It actually has a title, The Holographic Projector. And the reason is, is because, uh, you know, generally I have to put together a title after the show, but this show was just so much of, um, there was so much information about how to get, in touch with yourself and what we've actually been doing from a hyperdimensional level and how that's begun to project the reality that we're living in, I felt like it's really important to at least coin the show as something specific so it becomes a reference point in people's minds. So what I was talking about, and I just, again, have to discuss this like we're, we're going at it again, it's about the author of confusion. And what this is about is, is that this week I was, I was really deep into contemplation about really repairing a lot of the schisms or mainly a, a main schism that has happened in the past because I see time as in, in our experience here on across these planets and through the cosmos like a spiral. But I figure that something had to happen in that period to where we begin to not have the ability to recollect and recall who we are, what we are, where we came from, etc. Something has broke that continuum. And I call that again the schism. And so when I really trace my own consciousness and what I know and my experiences, I come to what I call, again, the author of confusion. And the, today's message about, is about what really happened. And so what this is about is it's about two particular characters, the king and the priest. Because between those two characters, you actually get the entire explanation of what's going on in our consciousness and how this is affecting our division. But it's not all about talking about duality today. It's actually to sum up duality so that way we can make it to the final point, I believe, which is triplicity. So we can be begin to triangulate our position in this space and time. And that way we can gain total bearing. And so the reason why I bring up the priest and the king is because I do have a methodical process that I go through in order to be able to connect something to find out whether it's true or not. If there's any truth to it, then it should match the blueprint. There should be an as above, so below resonation to it. And so when I begin to look back, what I found is in the language that the, one of the first languages that are actually produced, or what I would say is um, the mass production of a language, is the heretic or priestly script. And this script is what was mainly used by the pharaohs in the early dynasties. It, it moves from left to right. And I write here, indeed, the earliest texts from Egypt are produced with ink and brush, with no indication their signs are descendants of hieroglyphs. True monumental hieroglyphs carved in stone did not appear until the first dynasty, well after the hieratic script had been established as a scribal practice. So this means that the hieratic script is actually earlier than the hieroglyphs. For those who believe that the hieroglyphs are like the ancient uh, language, it's not. 
the ancient languages are indigenous tongues and seldom were written down. So we have this heretic script that belongs to the priests in which, in which most of the religious texts, which at this point encompass really spells, it's not as watered down as Christianity, it only uh, encompasses spells and rituals. This is the language that those are written in. And then there's another script that comes right after. That's the demotic script. And as I said, it, it kind of always reminds me of the word demonic. But this is actually the, the king script. And it moves from right to left. And in this text, most of the legal texts, this is the administrative documents, accounts, legal texts, letters, stuff related to mathematical procedures, it's, that's what's written in the demonic text. So here we have it, that two languages are introduced that become the father to later languages such as English, Greek, Latin, Mandarin, etc. And each of these texts have a primary, although they do cross over in, many, in certain instances, there are religious texts in demonic script, but each text is primarily used for a specific reason. Either one is related to what the king is doing. This is the laws. This is the rules. This is the decrees. This is the borders. This is the bulls or the edicts. And then one related to what the priest is doing. This is what gods should be worshipped, when they should be called on. And what I find in this is that this is when this artificial architecture, if you may, is now erected within a person's consciousness. And I believe it personally begins to affect the temple. And the interesting part about this is, is the king and the priest play this game as if they are not related, that they have nothing to do with one another. They actually, some, in some texts, despise one another that's one segment of time where the king is supposedly over here, even though he has his own language and the priest is over there and they have their own language and they're separating church and state. But behind everyone's back, they're both in on it together. And you only find that popping out in history later on when the king needs the approval of the priest to become the divine ruler. It's like basically saying, well, if the priest says that I'm the chosen king, and then the people should give me their blessings because I was chosen by the priest. And then likewise, the priests have a tendency to do the same thing. Once they can get authenticated by the king, then whatever it is, their, their spiritual knowledge or whatever can actually be passed to everyone. And what we're looking at, which I believe is one of the, just one of the major things that have been uncovered within the messages that I've been delivering, but it's, what we're looking at is, is we're looking at the actual process of when this hierarchical system that has nothing to do with what we want, what we need, and what we desire, is set up in our own ancestors and begins to spread itself through our DNA because this is language. This is our program. This is how we're thinking. This is how we operate. And what we find is, is, what we find is that later languages such as English Latin, Mandarin, Arabic, Hebrew, and even Coptic are all children of the Heretic and Demotic script. And so it's just like today, if I say Latin, then you may think Spanish people. And then you may think, oh, people from Mexico. When those are Aztecs, 
Just like if I say English, that's from England. But is African-American from England? No. So ancestrally, no. So it's these languages then. So then this harkens back to that point in time in the religious doctrines where it says, God says, let us go down and confuse them. So this is really the king. And it says, let us. So there's a company of beings. This is the, the court, the priest, the rest of them saying, let us go out and spread this language that's going to confuse them. Now, why is it going to confuse them? It's because the language that people spoke was their ancestral tongue. And the only thing that this tongue encompasses is actually stories of their ancestors. And this is why. If you don't have laws and rules and religions, there's really not that much to talk about. There's only time for expression. And this is what I find to be rather interesting that if we didn't have all these laws, rules, how many conflicts are over religion? How many conflicts are over laws and boundaries and borders? Almost all of them. If not all of them, this is the root to them. So not, if you look at this on a hyperdimensional level, what you find is you find that the person's reference point, their last backup, the tones and vibrations of their ancestors, the, the actual names that connect them to who they are is wiped clean, exterminated. And then what's loaded is this language of the king or this language of the priest, depending on who's controlling that region. Because, you know, in certain countries, religion controls everything. While you go into other countries, let's say like Germany, the king controls everything. There's, you know, the, the religious inclination is very low, but the methodical, logical law, procedural processes and copyrights and all that are in place. Versus you go and there are certain places, you know, like India, it's just all spiritual. It's all run on that one script that has to do with the priestly language. Because And that activates that side of the brain because hieratic script, once again, moves from left to right. Why demotic script moves from right to left. So again, what we discover here is we discover the true control point. Because, see, what's happened here on the planet doesn't happen in a in hundred years. We're not just dealing with, oh, it's because, you know, Hollywood. <laughs> and they just think that Hollywood just destroyed everything within 50 years. No, this is not about that. This is about something that took place thousands of years ago. But the other thing that I noticed as I keep digging deeper into history is that much of what we're calling history didn't take place that long ago. So even books like the Bhagavad Gita, which is supposed to be 20,000 years old, we find a war between Krishna and Vasuki. But if you actually dig deep into the history of North and South India, you'll find a group of people who actually say that they're the descendants of the Naga, who, who is Vasuki, being overthrown by one part of the higher level of the caste system. And so either history is continuing to repeat itself, which we find evidence of that, or most of these books, which are supposed to be ancient spiritual books, are just recounts of things that have actually happened between the wars that have taken place with the indigenous people. Now, I want to also bring light to that 
in each of these organizations, and that's what they are, as far as the king and the priest, because a lot of people say, well, what, what was it? Was it an invasion? Did someone come from another planet? And I'm telling you, it doesn't go that far. It's not, it doesn't go as far as extraterrestrials and aliens in this case. I'm not saying there's nothing extraterrestrial going on, but in this case, what you find is the same thing, uh, let's say in the, in the instance of the king, that you find in, in Freemasonry. There are, in fact, two different kinds of Freemasons, whether anyone wants to admit that or not. Anyone who doesn't know about Freemasonry, of course, they're not going to say anything about it because they don't know anything about it. You can't speak on topics that you don't know anything about. But there is an accepted Mason, Freemason, and then there's a, just a Freemason. And a, a Freemason, let's say, is the ones that were doing the building. They're the, they were the guild. Like, uh, you, you know, we have even the, um, the white-collar uh, what do you call those? Um, uh, the word that I'm looking for is um, it's basically in the old days, it's called a guild. Uh, in the new times, uh, they have another term for it. And it's just escaping me right now, but I'll remember it in a minute. But it's basically when a group of people join together that all do the same thing. So if you build and you're an architect, then you may become a Freemason. But that's totally different than if you become an accepted Mason. Freemason. And what is the difference? An accepted Freemason takes a pledge to the king, has an oath with the king that they will carry out to the penalty of death and, 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 and the oath to their life anything that the king tells them to do. So this is how they began to build these groups of people that were the same as even they were the same as the indigenous people. They recruited right from many of these populations until they can get their groups bigger and larger. But see, it's not just the king and it's not just Freemasons. Priests do the same thing. The religious traditions do the same thing. They recruit these people into their fold. And then they, oh, you're going to be a deacon or you're going to be a bishop. And to the point where they have this entire mission, <laughs> they call them missionaries, and then they send them out. So we don't find that there's this huge UFO that lands with these weird creatures that take on human form. What we find is, is that the, the, what, the, the language and the appeal to be a part of the kingly or priestly class entices certain members of these populaces to join and then to carry out what they're indoctrinated to carry out. And then what do they do? They put them in the seminaries. To be a president or to be someone that works for the uh, local politician and government, you have to generally go to one of these Ivy League schools. So the same thing has been going on since back in the day. You need to be a part of the Great Library of Alexandria and part of the, the philosophers in order to become this priest. Same thing is with the king. You need to be a part of this regiment. You need to be a part of all of this. And you need to be instructed and trained and all this to become this a part of the king's retinue and aristocracy. And so this is the direct training and breeding that is dividing everything. Because as I said before, you don't get more division than you get out of religions and laws. So the reason why I brought this up is for you to realize that there has been an artificial construct set up inside of a person's temple. They have two temples. One is a king, the other one's a priest. And they constantly go back and forth and cause confusion within the person's consciousness. And because we're generally only familiar with duality, 
we never get the opportunity to step into the realm of triplicity. So thus, we never find ourselves because if everything is just about the priest and the king, then where do we come in at? And that's why this is so important to know because it's factual. This is not something that you, got, you just have to believe. This is something that you can go and research for yourself. But this is something that changes people over time. The, the, it doesn't happen overnight. This is something that a person has to be continuously subjected to. Like our ancestors were continuously subjected to being demoralized. Their language is stripped from them. Now it's gotten to the point where, like here in Costa Rica, if you speak English, you make an extra few dollars on the hour. So it's encouraged to take on this program and to forget your indigenous tongue, to forget your ancestors in that tense. And then people can remember back in the day when I used to go in on, you know, this whole ancestral thing. And that to me was justified because even the people that they're saying that were your ancestors, they're not. They're all part of that priestly caste and priestly system. Who still remembers their indigenous tongue and what was being told in that tongue? It was the stories. It wasn't laws and rules and religions. It was stories of who your people were and what they were doing and who they were. And it came in the tones and the vibrations to allow you to feel that. So once that's removed, that's like erasing your program. See, that's the schism. And then something else is reloaded. And then now you have something else's program and you operate on that. Now, I will say that because I know some are saying, you know, what am I? And what am I supposed to do now? Am I going to, I got to find another language. Now, first thing is, is that knowing is half the battle. They tell you that in G.I. Joe. Knowing is truly half the battle because the other half of the battle is the deprogramming. But now you know where this stuff comes from. Now you know where this confusion, I say that sometimes we're living in this emo reality where everyone's just so emotional. They want to fight. They want to argue. They want to cry. They want to backbite, they want to deceive, and this seems to be the only thing that they actually really know how to do. There's only one more integer, and they call that be happy, which they can't really find most of the time. And it's because the priest and the king are constantly at it. Meaning that there's always this moral bearing that is diametrically opposed to law, set up in our own consciousness that we keep going back and forth over as if we're the ones that make the decisions in this reality, meaning that that we're going to go and occupy something. And then all of a sudden that's going to change how the economic system works, how banking works, how all that works. And these are none other than half hearted ideas cooked up from the same language that has no power. They wouldn't put power within the language. The language is for those to worship one thing or another thing, either the priest or the king. So I think I've said enough about it because we're going to go into another break here in a moment. And again, I kind of went over this earlier, but, you know, I have no problem with going over it again. I'm just scanning things to make sure nothing was missed. 
But it's a really important thing because it actually identifies where all of the confusion is coming from. It identifies how it got weeded into our consciousness. It identifies what were the procedures that were necessary to accomplish this. It doesn't put it off somewhere on another planet to where we got to find some kind of extraterrestrial to blame for it. It puts it right into the hands of a procedural process to where either people are enticed to join. Hey, come work with the king. I mean... Who's going to deny that once everything is despoiled? The people who were denying that were eradicated. Now, people, you tell them, hey, you want to go work for the king? You don't even see him. You may see smoke. They're gone so fast. But then there's another person under another persuasion. You say, you want to go work for the priest? You want to? And then they always say, but do you want to work for God? But then in this system, because you're talking about the king of England in many tenses and you're talking about the, uh, the, the dark Jesuit priest, both of these two hang out together. So either way, it's like a ping pong game. And then many are caught in this game just within their consciousness, within their own mind. And then when you tune into self, and that's why this is called the holographic projector, because, see, there's this concept that we're actually living in a hologram. But when you understand the geometry, especially of the Tesseract, what it actually says is that things like that can actually take place. What's really happening is, is that we are projecting the hologram. It's not outside of us. It's inside of us. It's an ability that we have that can be used for many different things. But because of the program that's loaded, it's being it's playing out this specific program. And we're going to talk a little bit later about how that projector works. But just a little a tap into it is, is that when you sit down. And you close your eyes and you imagine someone, especially if you're very fond of that person, you can almost see them. And if you meditate on them, you can go into either a vision or go into sleep, and then they will animate. They will move around, they will talk to you. But because this is a collective, and we all have the ability to use our projector, to project whatever we want, and to bring whatever we want, bring it before me, call it up, then in many cases, all of what it's doing is by leave of our own impression, our own impression of it. And that's why this starts leading us into triplicity because it starts to explain to us that inside of us that is left neglected is going to become chaotic, almost uncontrollable because it's just dealing with the isolation. You can imagine that some people are really acting a fool right now because they know that society will not accept them. They know that since they've taken on this kind of title, that it's like, well, it's us versus them. Society hates us. And they get up every morning with that. Well, you know, people hate who we are. And it's like this whole uh, uh, Aldous Huxley, the New World Order. And. What I'm saying is, is that when we begin to discover the triplicity within ourselves, that we've been spending so much time in the king and the priest's games, that chessboard and that checkerboard, that we've neglected our own selves and to spend time with ourselves. Rather than looking externally in every tense for solutions, 
What it's caused is an extreme schism to where we have a gap in our knowledge. It's like a rift. And you have to begin to understand how to patch that or mend that. And today, this is not just about repair, because remember, repairing means to put two back together. This is about bringing the three back together to make it whole, to begin to cancel out what is illusionary, what doesn't serve you, what actually doesn't give you anything. You see, like, does it increase who you are? And so a big part of this is about going at this concept, first of all, about a twin flame. And this is basically the belief that there is someone here on the planet for you. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's not uh, uh, great mates and that there's not people that you can be with that enhance who you are. But I'm saying the entire concept itself of looking for something externally, mainly one thing or one person to fulfill everything that you are is no different than the idea of trying to find some kind of external God to fulfill your religious or spiritual void. But sometimes we don't see it as the same thing. And then when we come back from break, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how to connect with that triplicity inside of yourself. So that way, anyone that you meet on the path experiences you as you really are, not a person that's injured looking for something to to basically uh, uh, connect to, to feel like that they found something when in all actuality, they found nothing yet. And so this is what it's about. It's about identifying these aspects of yourself, what's part of you and what's been embedded in order to get closer to the truth. about the schism we're talking about the major disconnection going on in our consciousness that is in effect in effect uh messing with people and has been messing with people for what appears to be thousands of years and that it's not something that's just happened overnight but it has everything to do with the language and the evolution of language and the whole act of confusing the human race 
by the introduction of languages that are not connected to the indigenous tongue. We talked about how the indigenous languages actually contain the tones and the vibrations related to the ancestral aspects of our past. And since our past is our future, it serves as somewhat of a guide for us to begin to understand who we are and what we are, since everything is frequency and vibration. And we came across this, I came across this a while ago where when analyzing some of the indigenous names, you know, you get names like he of great power and strength of the blue lightning and wave coming off the coast of, and then you, you get a whole meaning within the language and within the name. And then now you can get something as simple as James. I'll just use my name so somebody doesn't think I'm calling them out. But it's a removal in a tense of the power or the knowledge and the vibration of who you were and who you always will be. Because see, if you have this family lineage, let's say, if you can go through your whole chart and everyone is, has been amazing and done something great, then that courses and runs through you. It's not like today where, you know, just because you're, your family, you're, they're businessmen, and then you don't become a great businessman, then you're a failure to the family. See, all that's still a part of the new system that has been set up that equals if a person's made great accomplishments versus the ancestral system was more about how long you existed, how strong you were through your existence, and then also your connection beyond physical life. And that's what those ancient tongues were about. And that's why they say when they, when they talk about, you know, and, and I think that most of it is probably not true, but they say, oh, well, yeah, in, in these societies, they use these weird languages and they're like ancient tongues. You know, they, they've captured a little bit of why the ancient tongues become so important to be utilized, to remain connected. So we can definitely say that that has been removed. I definitely don't know words in my ancient tongue. But what I do know is that something has occurred and I can pinpoint what has occurred. So now I can get to the aspect of moving on. And a big part of that is for me to understand this setup between the two dualistic sides of the consciousness that's been implanted within my consciousness and then also what's gone neglected. And in this tense, the reason why there's so much focus on the two sides, because we can always say in the reality, when you know, we say, well, there's always two sides to each story. Well, actually, there's three sides to each story. There's one person, what they say, the other person, what they say, and then what actually happened. So just like these concepts of that there's a twin flame, and that's taken externally, I believe that when you really start applying, applying all this internally, what you get is that there is a triplicity. And you can see that you cannot map a circle with just two lines. So the dualistic concept doesn't actually give you good tools to begin to figure out where you are. You have to triangulate it. So for this triangulation, we use these three points by putting you back into the position of power. So we let this priest and this king remain as the lower parts of the triangle, and then we elevate you to the top part. And when that happens, you find that a lot of things 
especially our, our external pursuit of, let's say, this right person, is half-hearted, literally, just as our external pursuit for God. So the same thing that people have grown beyond with the gods and with external religions such as Christianity, we have to begin to learn how to do that also within our needs and our aspects of our personal consciousness or what we call our personal lives and start to realize that what's going on is that we're neglecting becoming whole inside of ourselves because we're doing so much external. And then what I'll say is because some people say, well, well, the whole idea of the twin flame is that when you connect with this right person, then you become whole. But what I would question is, is that wouldn't that be like taking a half of an apple pie and then taking a half of a cherry pie and then putting them together? Because these two beings, if they're not complete, they're different. And when you put them together, they don't become a whole complete thing. They just become a whole piece of separate things. So imagine if each person did the work that was necessary to do in their own consciousness before linking up with someone else or linked up with someone else that has actually done that and both parties have done that, then they come together, what would they be able to produce? So what we're talking about today is we're talking about the other thirds versus the other half of ourselves. We're going to leave the external context because that starts to rub people a little bit the wrong way. And that just shows you how much they're addicted to these external pretexts. And we should just talk about it internally. Are you whole internally? Because you have two sides to yourself. We've identified that. But there's also this third part of you. The mediator, we call it. And when we go to the world, though, because we can use that as our external mirror to begin to identify this part of self that often gets neglected and how that part of self becomes so dark. And how we see that in the world is, is that, and as I talked about earlier, these people who are, quote unquote, running things now terribly, they know that the world at large, the masses, if you may, don't like them. They know that they have to stay in their clubs. They have to stay in their groups because they hear it almost on every single station. I mean, it's broadcasted. It's, they can't be under the impression that they have the approval of everyone. So they stay in their corner because they're neglected. And this is very similar to if you know nobody's going to forgive you anyway then why even seek forgiveness? But even deeper than that, it's like a neglected child. If the child never gets any love or any compassion, they're never going to change. But just to show you how complex this is, this whole emancipation of earth or getting to the next level of our consciousness, is because few people will even voice publicly that they maybe need to start showing compassion to some of these people who are destroying everything because it makes no sense. That's how far we've gotten from it. We can prove that that's what we would need to do. We all got to come together. But then we make up a whole list of those who we won't come together with. 
And this to me is the madness. Because you have people dying in this. You have children suffering in this. You have all these different sides, but you don't have the glue. But on top of that, first we have to do it within. So this is the keys of how to do it within. So I ask today, how many times have we ever tried to comfort those who have done wrong to us? Sometimes, especially these days, I find that I even get attacked for no reason whatsoever. And when I come into contact with those people, instead of just throwing lava, I try to find some kind of balance in what's going on. And then when it's all said and done, I try to leave it into a balance in a neutral state and allow them to receive the comfort that they need to receive from whatever had caused it, to to not leave so many sore and open wounds. I've been watching how many of these teachers, so-called teachers, have been handling certain situations. They just go into cussing and, you know, calling people all out their name and doing it all on the Facebook. And But where will the resolution actually come from? But again, we'll go deeper into just the internal side. Seldom will we ever comprehend negativity as beings who are supposedly positive. And I'll say that again. Seldom will we ever comprehend the negativity that we do. This, these little thoughts in the mind, these actions, that anger, somebody cut you off in traffic, someone accidentally hits you really hard, that immediate flash is sometimes gone unnoticed. But it is that same part of the triplicity that's going unnoticed that is what often allows us to stand our ground. See, because if you stand your ground in another world, especially in, in, let's say, in the Christian context, that's negative. They would rather have you turn the cheek. And then what would that equal in a world like this? You would just get thousands of people just running over you and taking everything that you have. So this aspect of what they're saying is negative is actually useful. And if a person doesn't have that, if they can't stand up for themselves, then they won't be complete. So the same thing, if you will fight for what you believe in, your own integrity, your own pride, or what we call the struggle, See, all of that is seen as negative in the eyes of certain people. They're like, man, why are you why are you fighting? Well, how can we not? (laughs) You see, so it's all about finding that equilibrium. That's why you have to have that triplicity. Like you don't see the teeter totter. You see two sides to the teeter totter and then you see the thing in the middle. So we have to begin to identify, well, where's that thing in the middle? And that thing in the middle is you. See, the, the two different sides is the king and the priest and everything that stands for the laws and the religion, all that that's external. And then where you are is you're the mediator. 
And how you easily put it into balance is actually by canceling it out. Not judging which one is right and which one is wrong, but by understanding their true aspects as being generators of an illusionary physical reality that you're projecting. And when you put yourself back into the position, then you start to project what you want. And that's why I say that becomes the deprogramming process. So for a moment now, we're going to talk about this internal holographic projector. So I had a message with someone just recently, and we, we talked about this, and we actually talked about this rather deeply. And, uh, and I think in that message, what was transmitted was the key to this. So I'm just going to read back what I wrote in this message. And in this tense, I'm using, uh, okay, so I'll read it. I say it. So I, I can only speak direct about these things. And, th- and that's that we each have a projector. And in this message, the pretext to this message, just so you understand, was there was one person that was saying that they actually are seeing me. And it's actually becoming static to where I'm actually appearing in static form and meaning that I'm actually showing up. And the question was, is actually, do I remember showing up? Now, for me personally, when I close my eyes or when I go into meditation, I go. But I go so many places and I do so many things. It's not like I can say, well, this is what I did and that's what I did. Because I'm not holding it like that. That's a whole part of the travel is that you don't let that part of the mind actually have access. So personally, I couldn't say if it was me or if it wasn't me. But there's a higher law that runs this whole aspect of what we see and what we don't see. And that higher law is us. See, because remember, we are the law. We are the spirituality, a.k.a. religion. The only other things that have been set up are artificial. See, I'm not here to demonize any aspect of the true creation. What I'm trying to remove here is the imposter. So you have the kingly side of yourself and you have the priestly side of yourself. And with those aspects, when we focus on things with great concentration, with the left and the right, which are the two creative principles, the logic, which gives us the, uh, or, or the, the spiritual side, which gives us the imagination of it, and then the logic, which teaches us how to build it, then it becomes static from the projector. You see it. Now, this is no different than the same thing that we learned about negative energies and positive energies and the laws of attraction, that if we focus on certain things, then we can make those things happen. But this attaches to that we're also in a collective field, that this is a collective projection, a hive, if you may. And what puts us on that hive is actually the languages. Chair, I say, hey, bring me a chair. You understand that? See, if you didn't speak my language, then you would be confused about everything I'm saying right now. Like if you hear someone go off in Swahili and you just don't understand any Swahili, you just sit there looking dumbfounded. But if you speak English and I say, bring me a chair, you already start visualizing that chair, you going to get it. All that stuff happens so fast 
because that's all going on in the collective field. So that's what we participate in. Now, there's another one that just happens, just only has to do with imagery. So this means a person in China who doesn't speak English can have a dream about Michael Jackson because it's only the image that they need. So we do have this ability to imagine one another, just like I can close my eyes right now and I can picture Luis. So in this field, just like a dream, Luis can reflect certain thoughts and feelings. But this doesn't mean that that's how Luis is feeling at the moment. This is what we need to understand, because when we use our own projector, it's me giving the, using my ability to animate. See, because I have, I have light. I have power. We have light and power moving through our bodies. Anyone who has been in any kind of chakra-altering state, mainly breath, has seen the light and power that you can kick up. So when you focus that light and power, you can make something appear, and then you can animate them with, the, with what you believe that they're about and what they can do. And it can go into any kind of fanciful aspect. Like everyone has this ability. You can sit down and do it right now. I can picture Barack Obama and totally shoot him out of a cannon in my own mind. It, but does that mean that's what he's experiencing right now? So in short, we all have the power to send light or energy and animate one another. However, how the hologram, whether static or not, acts out is mostly due to our own suggestion. Until you get to the point to where your consciousness is so powerful and you're also in group consciousness. This is why they say even things like group prayer, they say, or even mass rituals. This is when several people get together and begin to project the same thing. So now you understand how we're projecting earth. Because everyone here, no matter what language we speak, when we go to sleep, we expect for the world to be the next day. And because so many of us believe in that, billions, that's what's making the world solid. The moment that a, a fraction of the people, let's say 25%, stop believing that the world is going to be here, what others will start witnessing is things will get static. They will like get superfluous as if they're not even there. The onset to that is actually actions that lead the world into not being here. And that's why, you know, if we want to keep this going, then there's a lot of belief that we must maintain. When we stop believing in this, which is like the big push of what's happening in the world right now, like many people are so discouraged you know, they're finding out all this information and it's just one blow after another. Oh, my goodness. Not the Oh, it's the government. Oh, it's the banking. And then it's less belief, less belief, less belief than the ancient times to when, you know, to see the world and to see the ocean and the, the butterflies and the animals. And there was so much power associated with the belief of where we were and what we had created. See, because no one then was not familiar with the projector and that everything around them was the collective belief of each person that was inhabiting it. 
along with the animals and everything that was animated with the soul. So the projector was created to be perpetual. Because even while one may fade off and die and be left to their own devices, there are others being born that will believe and cling on to the mother's hand and the belief of her. So it's like a chain. And each aspect of it will always bring us back. Even through death, our memories will guide us back. But now with the artificial system, where are we coming back to? And that's starting to get us into the questions. Because a lot of people are saying, well, shoot, do I even want to come back? Am I stuck in some kind of infinite loop? So I go on that. Now, for those who have honed those gifts, we're talking about the projector, that they can gain the ability to be less suggestive and to truly feel what a person is feeling. This is the impact. See, because when you're putting your own input, like if I, like I said, I sit down, I imagine Barack Obama and then, you know, I, I got him, you know, inside of a car and, you know, whatever. Like if I can continue to build the picture and I'm doing that, I'm animating that. But if I really wanted to tap in, what I would do is just pull up the signature, which is basically the image. And then once I pinpointed it, that's called remote viewing then I would let go of all suggestion as much as possible. This is like what you do in lucid sleep. You let go of a certain part of your mind so that it doesn't interfere with your lucid sleep. And then what you would start to witness is what he's really doing and what he's really about. So I go on that this is like a medium that lets something use, just use their faculties because that's what you're doing. You're letting it use your faculties to express itself in order to make some type of contact or to be some type of throughput. See, because when you feel what they feel, it's because they use the same part of you that feels that way. I'm just getting deeper into the explanation of how the holographic projector works. And what this really means is, is that, see, it's not all in the mind. If you want to examine their mind, then you must let your mind go on idols. Meaning like you just let it go. You don't use the actual mind. So that way, when you're tapping into that signature, it uses your mind and then you can feel and know what it's thinking. This is a trained ability. It's very a very complex talent. And generally, one is born doing certain things like that rather than train themselves from scratch how to do it. And that's how that works. So we're almost nearing to the next break, and I, I have plenty of questions. And in fact, I just come up on a, a library of about 50 questions. So I think I'm going to dedicate next show to really just answering questions, because that's obviously what the Keymaker series is really about. But before we go to break, I want to talk about very briefly the difference between the dream world versus visions, because when you go to sleep, the projector runs. And this is how also you can start to govern what you're really going to be doing when you're left to your own devices. And the reason why I say it like that is because, see, all these faculties and all these abilities like the projector, they're devices. We have advanced tech, Aztec, running through every part of our consciousness. But do you know how to operate it? Because the codes and the commands, most of which were embedded within the indigenous tongue, 
have been removed. And that's why I always say, like, you're with a body that has these capabilities, but you don't have the manual. So when we come forward, we're going to be talking about, again, the difference between the dream world and visions, because when you go to sleep, this is going to give you the real idea of what's going to happen when you die. Believe it or not, you know, this is sometimes becomes hard and bitter drink. That if we can't maintain control when we let go of this physical reality, then it's the same thing going to happen when we can't, when we let go permanently, let's say, of this physical reality. But for those, and, and you, you know, there's tons of books on this, and there's people that have, have been living this all their lives, like the Tibetan monks, etc. That what they're doing is they don't take a break between their dream and the waking life. It's a continuum. They have full control of that aspect. And many have already lucid dreamed before. It's very difficult to do now because there's so much to actually continue with. So again, when we come uh, forward, as I always say, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give a little bit of information about what just recently happened with um, CERN because I really believe that it's important. And then we're going to get to some questions. show obviously this is the key maker and today we know we've covered some vast topics it's unfortunate that we did miss out on that first uh 30 minutes but we did come in uh at that last stretch and and continue to push so we have a bit more in the message today so i'm going to have to uh pick up the pace but the main thing that i i really want everyone to remember is that just remember there's two languages really thriving on earth and it's the heretic and the demotic scripts one moves from left to right, and the other one moves from right to left. One is about the king, which is the, the laws, the rules, the edicts, the decrees. And the other one is about the priest. And that's the religious, religious preference and determination of what is to happen with your spiritual being. And between those two languages, which come out into English, Latin, Mandarin, Arabic, Hebrew, and Coptic, which are all children to those languages, the world is controlled as the indigenous tongues have been removed, which contain the ancestral codes that connect the coil of our connection throughout the cosmos to who we are, because we are a continuum. So there's no 
there's nothing separate from us and our ancestors. And this is the difference between modern religions and the ancient cosmic beliefs, because the cosmic belief system was all that the ancients functioned on. They took their charge from the stars because that's them versus these other new religions actually set up something else as a central point, mainly the king or some kind of fictitious deity or one planetary system, etc. And so that's brought a lot of conflict because in the ancient minds, there was no such thing as conflict. Everyone knew their place. Just as you see in the sky now, each star, each thing has its place in the vault and gives off its own light. And that brings us to the next point of this entire uh, explanation today about what, we're, what we've gotten into, which is the holographic projector, which is how we all have this ability to project in our own consciousness throughout into our dreams, into our visions, anything we want, anything that we can actually imagine. And that's the major part of our limitless. But our limitless is actually interrupted most of the time. Few can actually stay focused on something long enough to have it materialize. And those who have gained those abilities actually find that there is an extensive amount of things that you can do from tapping into others to tapping into other celestial bodies and systems to gain limitless capabilities. But if we spend all of our time arguing and fighting amongst either the priestly side of ourselves or the illusionary priestly side or the illusionary kingly side and don't remember that king and priest are actually the same thing and are even cognates of each other, especially linguistically, then we often fail our own selves being stuck in duality and not finding the triplicity, which is present within everything we see that gives us the aspects of how this third rock i.e. three, the third planet from the sun, the one with the triangle, basically, hey, you triangle head, has this setup that we've been dealing with since day one that teaches us not only how to descend, those are the two lower points of the pyramid, into physicality through duality or to actually rise ourselves up into a higher state of consciousness by starting to become focused on who is central in this theme, which is you, not me, not anyone else, not the language, not some extraterrestrial, but what is actually happening right here, right now with you in, in your own presence. And to not look for things externally, be it twin flames or gods, but to find that all within. So that way, when you finally meet whoever and whatever, you're in a perfect stage to where you have not only put yourself to the point where you can perpetually charge yourself through orgasmic or orgon energy, but you also are in full awareness to who is the king of kings, lord of lords, master of the universe, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is you. As you, everything is central to you, or geocentric as we call it, because everything is rotating around you. Despite what everyone else says, you're looking through your own eyes, you're flipping your own switches, and you determine what's going to happen from here, because remember, knowing is half the battle. So now you know. The next stage is to get the deprogramming going on to start merging those sides. And if you want to understand how difficult it may be, because this is a climb uphill, it's just as difficult as comforting what you feel is negative or what you don't like in order to neutralize it and to have it 
uh, really understand compassion, which is, to me, the compass to Zion. And this doesn't mean that you have to go out and love everyone because the part of that negativity that we've isolated ourselves from is actually standing up for yourself and projecting your wheel in a tense, especially if this is your life and your death and what you're going to have to deal with because you're going to be left to your own devices when you unplug from this hive and this collective, whatever you've designed and developed for yourself will kick in. So if you begin to spend your life in that self-development to begin to understand how to control your dreams, how to pull energetic potential into your own body through prana, and really self-help, as we talk about all is self, then you will get yourself closer to this aspect of yourself that you really need to be, which I call the true you. Because surely in this state in which we're in, in the matter, then the matter state is only an inkling of who we are. So I said all that to say <laughs> we're not going to get to questions. I was just giving you a summary since, again, we didn't miss the first 30 minutes of the conversation today. The next thing is about I do have some questions and someone asking what is CERN actually doing? So we're at CERN again. But the interesting part is, is that something synchronistic did actually come through about CERN. So I guess I'll go ahead and mention it because, you know, I'm generally never on to getting into the, you know, the topics that are just trafficked amongst most networks. But it turns out that what's actually going on at CERN is, is almost like a no-brainer, but, you know, sometimes there's uh, not too many brains hanging out. But the thing is, is that, so since they've already discovered this God particle, which is supposedly the first thing that they went to crank this machine up to uh, discover the Higgs boson, which is basically a particle that adds mass to other particles, and that they found that. And that kind of appeared as a, a, a bleep on a monochrome screen. And I was like, okay, you know, because they were celebrating. And I was like, man, this is, man, that's pretty boring. I was hoping to see something at least in HD. But that was supposedly what they were looking for. But now they've kicked it off again. And it just so happens that they kicked it off on the full moon. But this time, as CERN's own site says, and then a couple people bought up on a couple of channels on YouTube, that they've actually recorded the highest level of energy ever being generated on the planet because they've now gone to smashing lead ion particles versus photons. And this may all sound like French to certain people, but I'll get to the point here. They've gone to smashing lead ion particles together rather than photons. And what this is producing is it's producing these high spikes. And I think the word is petatron. Some word like that, but basically a whole nother level of measuring energetic potential. Okay. So, ironically, this rolls side by side with something a good friend of mine, uh, 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 Morad uh, Mustafa, had sent me a video on Pepsi's uh, recent video. Or they're doing these little short films, and it's called The Black Knight Decoded. And through this movie or, or short film, they're actually depicting that there's this. Uh, satellite body that's hanging out in the atmosphere and it sends this message that has long since not never been decoded but gets decoded and it's saying that on the next full moon give us a sign and show us that you're ready for us and we will come okay and this is called the black or excuse me the, uh, yeah the black knight as in uh, k-n-i-g-h-t 
And, you know, if you understand the lure of the occult, the black knight is actually symbolic to being the dark one itself. So and then I, it, it's a no brainer coming from Pepsi because name one ingredient in Pepsi that's actually healthy. But again, don't put your projector too much at work about this because it's very suggestive, even though they're using millions of minds to actually try to push this uh, illusion, which actually takes a lot more energy uh, than necessary because it is, in fact, an illusion versus when we all when just a few of us put our minds together on truth, it's far more powerful than trying to create something that's just unnatural. So we'll say it like this, that it's obvious that what CERN is doing from everything that we learned about celestial mechanics to how the Big Bang is actually a sexual act, meaning that it's actually the energy of when two opposite poles come together and the light that they generate when they're having friction against each other, we call that sex or six. And when three goes into three, then that extra component comes out, that's birth or bringing things into life. Now we know that CERN is connected to trying to go to the point of what? The Big Bang, the actual point of when the universe came into inception or conception. So because it all connects, this is why I said, okay, this is definitely something going on because it's on the blueprint. And so what I perceive is really going on is that this machine attracts souls. It attracts beings like me or you who are generally unidentified vessels floating through the cosmos, and then we see this light or this energy because the level of energetic signature that's coming off of it, it would more than likely begin to attract, who knows, maybe even different kind of beings. I believe that we all have this hidden powerful potential in us, but let's just say it as it really is. On a hyperdimensional level, if you're looking out, because there is no... Dense, you can't see dense object. There's this, there, are, there is no space and time. You see everything as it really is. If something's giving off a large amount of energy, then that tends to attract you. It's just like if you see somebody walk by and they have all this energy, you know, and women are, are really good at that. They can project a lot of energy, just, you know, dress, flowing, makeup, loud colors, the whole nine. And then all that energy comes by that has a tendency to bait you in. So I believe personally that the CERN device is actually used to attract certain things and still getting to the bottom of what that actually is. So I'm going to move into the next question and I'm going to move to these somewhat rapidly because we only have about 15 minutes, I think, you know, sometimes the clock is off. But uh, the question is, now that we are conscious, what do we do? Am I doomed to incarnate over and over again forever? And this is a question asked by Lauren. And my first rebuttal to that or my first response to that is, is that this is why personally I work so hard to innovate and to develop things for not only the future, but for right now for our children, because I'm still here on Earth. So rather than gaze off into, uh, you know, another star system when I'm left to my own devices, I'd rather first deal with my experience here in this particular plane and what I'm here to do. And personally, I feel like the most limiting thing can sometimes be your peers. These are the people that you're around that are dictating to you what you can and cannot do. And I'll explain that in a little bit later of how that may affect your progress. But the first thing that I would encourage anyone that is able-bodied and starts to really catch on to what's actually happening here is to be as aggressive as possible at beginning to innovate and create something to begin to stabilize people in this reality by utilizing the sciences and the principles 
principles and the technologies and the languages and all of what you have at your disposals, the Googles, in order to put it all together because it has yet to arrive, meaning that if it's not locked up somewhere or under some kind of patent, it actually hasn't made it into the physical reality. And by all means, you may be the womb, if you may, male or female, that is going to conceive that into this reality. But regardless, and this is how I'll finish that question, regardless, you will be left, as I said earlier today, to your own devices if you develop them. So it's the same thing that happens when you sleep. You need to understand that you have this power and this ability to move yourself through space and time anyway. So if you're a little low on encouragement to actually metamorphosize things in the reality and to find the panuncia, then you can still actually go back within and do your own self-development and put all that fear and all that stuff into progressing your development and then start to begin to cre create in your own reality, in your own consciousness. Because I can 100% tell you that if you can fall asleep and then control where you're going next, then the same thing will happen to you when you find that you're at the door. And, um, and again, I say here that what happens when you sleep? What program do you load? Are you in control of that program? These are the questions that you have to ask yourself to understand what's going to happen to you beyond this. And then again, if, you, if you're going to be in this, don't feel doomed at all. Get innovative. So the next question here is, how do I know my third eye is open? This is a question asked by Bob. And the third eye, I say the third eye is, is related to specific visual phenomena, okay? It's not as uh, um, subtle as some would let on to, because I mean, I have a third eye. Well, see, the thing about the third eye is, and I think I just saw something hilarious. Prince uh, actually appeared just recently on our award show, and he had some third eye glasses. I thought that that was pretty hip. But the reality is that the third eye does actually close most of the time in sunlight. The only time that you, it really opens in sunlight is when you more or less force it open because it's sensitive to light. Because what it does is when it opens up, it takes in all the frequencies. And sunlight is such a high frequency, this immediately causes a chain reaction within the rest of the chakras. And then your whole body becomes light. And then what things look like at that point and how you feel is for a lot of people a bit overwhelming, but it's very vivid. So you would actually know a hundred percent when your third eye is completely open. But even beyond that, the, again, the third eye does affect the energetic state of all of your chakras. So you actually feel the other chakras begin to kick off. And then this begins to produce more fluids within the body, especially creational fluids. And the last thing is, is that you should also have somewhat of supreme control over your sleep. It's almost like when the third eye is open, there is no sleep. It's more like a standby, I call it. I'd be like, man, I'm not actually sleep. I'm more on standby because you can still see right through the roof. Generally, you see the stars. You see a lot of swirling going on. And this is even with your eyes closed. So this is sure indicators that the third eye is wide open. And as far as when it's partially open or a little bit of calcification and that kind of thing, you get less of the effects that I just explained. Next question here is, Oh, uh, excuse me, Bob then goes on to explain the act of configuring his chakras in which he begins to communicate with something that instructs him to simply believe without resistance 
in his power. And uh, this is a personal thing that Bob is doing to where he's beginning to reconfigure his chakra centers. And he asked me about that. He doesn't actually ask a question, but I do rebuttal or respond and say this is more this is more than possible. It's more than possible for you to begin to reconfigure your entire consciousness, state, DNA, the whole nine. But how long will it stay configured that way? And that's based on your will because you have to begin to have no, wave, have no wavering and have no digression. And remember, the language is constructed to waver and to digress. So it is about you building up a, a, a consistent a consistent will of keeping something in place, allowing it long enough to make its turn. That's how I've always seen it, that, you know, everything happens to in, in cycles. So you must allow it to run its complete course before it fully loads. Other than that, it's just like manifestation. Some people think they want to die, but that doesn't mean they die the next day. And that's because there's a loop. I mean, excuse me, there's a there's a gap in the time frame. It gives you time to recant those ideas. So but when you stay consistent on something, if you feel like that every day, then you start running into and that tends the danger zone. So the same thing here is, you know, when you start to really insist in your consciousness that you've made certain changes within your own field, then that change actually holds. Uh, and the next question is. Itchy palms, feet, cheeks, forehead, ringing in the ears, goosebumps, and lots of coincidences. What is this? This is a question from Ross. And the answer is, these are signs of a sensitive. <laughs> I mean, in every single aspect, you know, a sensitive is not just a person who has reactions to the reality, but a person that also has a keen ability to begin to tap into the morphogenic field. This is the field that surrounds everything that becomes more or less the database or the HUD to how things operate in the reality fluidly. And so when you begin to deal with that field, you're off, you often departicalize and reparticalize, even if it's on a slight level. Level, and this reconstitution and deconstitution often causes a tingling and sensations at minimum. And this ability does need to be honed in and trained so you can get on some kind of regimen if you wish to train and enhance that ability. So that's Ross. Next question is, uh, uh, Ross also asks, what is my thought on indigo children and psychic children? And my, my response to that is that there, this is uh, evolutionary process. We'll just use that term as a term that we're constantly upgrading our own selves based on the previous backup. So there is a progression of what's generally supposed to happen to us. That's the natural progression of who we are. But there is, of course, a de-evolutional, intentional aspect of what's going on in the reality right now, i.e. Uh, illusionary king and priest. And so what happens is, is that when couples come together, two people come together, they actually give the DNA of each other and they blend that together into the new creation. So there's, of course, supposed to be a natural progress because those two should have gone through certain things or should have become immune to certain things or aware of certain things that later on cuts down the time frame of that next child actually learning what needs to go on. So they continue from there. It's like already knowing trigonometry and then having a whole 10 or 15 more years to study math. But again, unfortunately, those abilities are not being trained. And I proposed an idea a long time ago about this. And unfortunately, this takes, you know, some real transformation in reality because you don't want to get, you know, yourself in trouble with these kind of things. But I proposed an idea about how children think and what happens if a baby actually thinks that you can teleport or a baby actually thinks that you can fly and how this uh, closed, uh, I call it closed circuit test would work is that 
from the time the child is born, the parent would come in flying, being on some kind of strings or whatever, and then give the child the bottle, hold the child, and the child would never be aware of that the parent was actually on these strings. And would this actually cause, since it is possible, would this cause the child to believe that it could fly? Now, this is something that would actually have to be tested out, but I think that it has some validity to it. It's not as far-fetched as we think because the child in witnessing that the adult version of itself actually can fly, even though it doesn't know that those are strings there, may attempt to actually fly. So, you know, that's all I have to say about that and the potential of the indigo children and i.e. psychic children that are coming out. Um, Warren Turner mentions that there are still many symptoms that have been addressed with no real solutions, especially corruption of the genetic levels, such as nano hacking and GMO embedding. And my thought, and I say again, my thoughts exactly, someone must make a move and that move must be brilliant. And such things would mean great risks from all sides, which I've dealt with for the last seven years. I mean, it's hot water on one end, deep water on another, judgment from your peers, need of resources, and the possible disturbance from ruling third parties, as they used to talk about. You know, when you get to a certain level, then someone larger wants to come and squash you. However, I'm up for it and I'm on it. And this is what I've been doing for the last seven years. It's continuously innovating and it's just going to take another leap, a quantum leap, if you may, of the same direction that I'm going in now in order to make Things happen on the level of the DNA and corruption of when you deal with uh, people who may be dealing with mental issues and things that are a little bit more deeper than conversation or activation and even supplements. So three day, uh, someone asked, three days of darkness, what does it mean? And we're coming to the end here, so I'm speeding through. And I said, once again, you know, uh, actually, three days of darkness, what does it mean? And what I'll say is that, once again, we address this triple nature uh, that's why they call it the three days of darkness of being or going through some kind of transformational phase in all of your aspects. So generally, this is this three days is actually accomplished on the mental, spiritual, physical levels to where you go through a mental, spiritual and physical teardown. And this is uh, what I call it's in the effect of going through the trimesters. Normally, notice the word the trimesters of being born again. And then you have to be willing to commit or turn in, turn inwards. Okay, look at the word turn in or turn inwards. You must turn in yourself. Go into yourself. That's what understand means. And then some parties, which means out of that triplicity of yourself, and then mainly those illusions, the illusionary king, the illusionary priest, will be very resilient and they'll refuse to actually be turned in. But you have to have a strong will and know whatever is truly real. This is how you overcome fear and overcome that you may lose something. Whatever is truly real will remain and everything else will be dissolved. But this is also why sometimes those coming out of that three days of darkness and then back into the light sometimes feel broken after that because they had little in the beginning that had actually was the truth or was real. And even what they did have is now gone. So this is the challenge to find your true self. And that's all I really have for everyone today. I mean, it's more than enough. I want to say thank you to everyone for tuning into the conversation and, and also dealing with that first 30 minutes. And I guess, you know, that kind of riled me up a little bit because I was like, oh, my goodness, you're telling me 30 minutes of the beautiful transmission, which I just so happened not to recover because I was like, I just take TFRs. 
uh, backup did not get recorded. Oh, no, not with not with me today. I'm going to go back over this thing again with the same amount of power and not feel deflated. And I was able to really, for from my aspect, capture the true meaning of the, today's message of uh, bringing forth this holographic projector that goes on within, letting us start to take some accountability but also revealing the things that are set up within our own consciousness that often act like when someone else is tapping your shoulder on the left side, you look on the right. And then, you know, it's just like you can't figure out where things are coming from. Remember that it's actually in this heretic and demotic script that's embedded within the language. The whole world is confused with it until they actually accept that it could be on that kind of level affecting their program and affecting their consciousness so they can begin that road to recovery just as they say in the AA, which are the principles of how to break habits, that you must first admit that you have this problem before you can actually begin on your road to recovery. And by all means, we are fully recovered, or I say we were beginning to recover. And then it's going to take everything within you, me, and anyone else that wants to jump in to really make this major transformation in the physical reality but remember, you still also have your own projector and you have your own things that you can work on in expanding yourself. And then once you do that, just like we talked about earlier, once you find wholeness within, then you can come out into the reality and begin to contribute what is necessary to stabilize things. Thank you again. Have a great, just a great infinity. Come in the likeness in the image of God Cause you can be like that With all that humbleness and all that